You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 395, Stacey Dooley, is she a heroine or a victim hugger? Alexa and Siri are listening to you and they're making notes and remembering Mark Hollis. That's all coming up after Cherry Ghost and Mathematics.
No, you do the math. Um, (laughs) 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 From their debut album, uh, Thirst for Romance in 2007, the first single drawn from that album, number 57 here in the UK in 2007, Cherry Ghost and Mathematics. Yeah, a big fan of Cherry Ghost. Bolton's mm. finest, I believe. He's, uh, he's excellent. Mm, very good. Welcome to the podcast from the Parish Council. It's episode 395. Mm. I'm Terence Stackham, and protect from frost and direct sunlight, it's Juliet Harris. It's like you're aware of my needs, Terence. I'm so, I'm so fond of these in- increasingly instructional, um, instructional sort of observations mm. and directions. So, yes, um, I, I, uh, warning may contain nuts. It's me. Hello. <laughs> um, if I happen to watch television in the afternoon, possibly the horse racing, or maybe a good old movie on the talking pictures or TV perhaps channel. Your, perhaps your home's under the hammer or your cash under attic. the hammer. Escape to the country, any of those. Yes, I forgot that's your fave, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is this is time in the day for certain commercials mm. to air, and I'm often faced with an earnest actor like Martin Sheen or Tom Hiddleston asking mm. for donations to a cause, um, in their case, in aid of children in Syria. Now, who wouldn't be moved by some of the film footage? No, I've, I've done the blankets thing before, yeah, for three pounds. Yes. Absolutely. Film footage accompanies the pleas from these impassioned actors. But I wonder how awful a person it makes me to think, well... Macy boy, how much from your own deep pockets are you giving to these Syrian children? Maybe they're giving a lot. I don't know. But my thoughts on this um, came to mind again this week when the young documentary maker Stacey Dooley Mm. posted photographs, it has to be said, with rather idiotic and asinine captions on Instagram of her Mm. holding a young child after she visited Uganda as part of a fundraising effort for the charity Cobbick Relief. Miss mm. Dooley's been criticised by the British Labour Party MP David Lammy, who says, mm. and I, I quote, the world does not need any more white saviours, unquote. Um, Mr Lammy stresses he isn't questioning Stacey Dooley's motives, but does he have a point, Jules? Do we need images of a pretty white heroine flying into Africa to grab a black child for Instagram photo opportunities? Well, it's interesting, this, isn't it? I, I rather like Stacey Dooley. I've always found her quite a likeable presence. Um, her documentaries on BBC Three, those of us that used to mock uh, BBC Three for mm. being sort of asinine and, you know, sort of for, for teenagers and a moronic, actually, mm. its documentary thread has always sort of saved it, really. Plus, I think Fleabag was made for BBC Three. So, so you know, it, it does very well at comedy and it does very well at documentaries. And actually, mm. Stacey Dooley has been quite a, a big driver of that. And... I've always been a bit of a sort of a defender of hers on the basis that she's very good at making documentaries, I think, for teenagers. And BBC mm. Three is meant to be sort of teenage and, and young adult pra- programming. And I think that actually for that, she's very good because I think that she does introduce quite difficult topics. And she does do difficult topics, I think, and, and introduces them uh, to an audience which otherwise might not might not either be interested or, or might not sort of come across them. So, I, so I've always been a sort of a fan of her for that. And she always gets called a moron because of the way she speaks. And I always mm. get cross. It's posh. Beck's Wind syndrome. I get cross, you know, for 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 the media criticising uh, working class people that dare to better themselves. So I've always been a, and and she did very well on Street Come. She won Street Come Dancing. She was by far and away the most enjoyable to watch. She went on the journey that we like them to go on. She was she was a lot of fun. But I do, I mean, I have a lot of time for David Lammy. Mm. I think he's excellent, and I do see his point here, and his quote particularly in this BBC News article that that you sent to me about this, Mm. he says here, um, uh, 
My problem with British celebrities being flown out by comic relief to make these films in the, is that it sends a distorted image of Africa which perpetuates an old idea from the colonial era. And I think that might be this this idea of the white saviour. I mean, Stacey Dooley argues, and then, you know, you could say she's right to do so, that, uh, that comic relief has raised over £1 billion since they started. I saw projects that were saving lives with the money, kids' lives. Um, but David Lammy says charity is a good thing. All of us understand that but how we do charity is important and he talks about how there there is a that comet relief is a 20-year formula and i think that's quite important that comet relief has not really changed since it began mm. it hasn't adjusted perhaps to to new attitudes it just does the same thing over and over again it's not helped by the fact and i think the comet relief does raise a lot of money and does a lot of good having said that it is difficult to avoid this conclusion it is a bit oh here we are now white middle class people who've come to save you and help you pull your socks up africa and it is it is a bit wince inducing sometimes particularly when the majority of people that are involved in it are so middle and in some cases quite upper class and that and there it is difficult to avoid that that i mean i'm sure they are very well intentioned but it is difficult to avoid that conclusion sometimes um that um that you know that it is kind mm. of you know upper class people i hate to use this as an example it sounds like i'm criticizing her personally and i'm not and this this might not come across well mm. i like her very much as a comedian but miranda hart mm. who does actually come from sort of semi not exactly royalty but she's she she comes she's pretty sort of she's pretty well connected i think and comes from a pretty good background started off as a secretary at comic relief and i've never quite been able to sort of shake that image of slightly kind of plummy people that are sort of maybe slumming it a bit kind of working working there i that that, that that's not meant to sound as unpleasant and rand part as it possibly does she makes me laugh a lot her um her would i lie to you where she where she talks about playing for queen's park rangers ladies still makes me cry with laughter eight years on so but there's something about comic relief like you say it's got that kind of anything that's overly dominated by people like Ben Elton who are still trying and I think that sums up the 20 year point doesn't it that are still trying to be edgy 25 30 years on and it feels sometimes like the world has moved on and comic relief hasn't really moved with it large parts of Africa are emerging economies now there are there are parts of Africa that are doing really well that's not to say that wealth is evenly distributed in Africa ironically Africa has become more like the western world and that there is more wealth in it but it is very unevenly distributed um there are still chronic problems in Africa but you know I, I like like you say I, I'm not entirely convinced that people that white people want over you know to have artful pictures taken for the gram as we like to call instagram <laughs> is really is really i mean you know she's maybe she's raising awareness yeah sure maybe but um I, I don't know i mean as someone that that has donated to stuff that has been on telly davina mccall and her insane exploits come with their comic relief for children in need but when she does those ridiculous sort of cycling everywhere mm. i donated when i saw the program about her because i thought you know she did magnificently well i do i do donate when olivia coleman tells me to i donate when michael sheen tells me to they do have a they do have a pull about them it does work but but having said that you know it is the extent to which when you are holding up African... Again, it's the idea of agency. 
did those kids consent to be in the photograph did they understand the photograph did they understand what it means they felt a bit like props i must admit so so i think it's probably well intentioned but you can be well intentioned and also get it wrong at the same time we had a similar case a couple of years ago when again for comic relief ed sheeran flew into africa and made a film about poverty stricken youngsters and again there's something disturbing about white rich people flying in as you say saying gosh look this is awful adding in some images of young distressed black people and then, and then flying, flying out, out again, again yeah, yeah. To, to their world tours and luxury estates and it does feel a bit like poverty porn and we've had too many experiences uh, highlighted in recent years of so-called uh, charity workers exploiting local people mm. the oxfam scandal in haiti comes to mind uh, for these issues They've, to be simplified in this way and I, I have serious. I really do have serious misgivings about the way this country gets involved in comic relief or similar once each year. It's kind of like, look, we're helping poor black people, and then it, it's put on the shelf and forgotten until the next appeal a year later. And this business of comic relief, yes, of course, a billion pounds raised, fantastic. However, and I think we, we mentioned this in a different context a few weeks ago, about how this is taking money from ordinary people. It's... Um, persuading people sitting on sofas at home through a sort of emotional and almost emotional blackmail uh, into contributing and of course I know it's a cliche but it still remains true that people wouldn't have to do that if the major companies many of whom work in this country based in this country paid their proper amounts of taxes we wouldn't have to ask ordinary just working people on maybe 20 yeah. 25 grand a year to you know come up with 50 quid for for comic relief of course there will always be terrible people in the world running corrupt governments and failing the people of their country but i'm not convinced stacy dooley and her instagram photos are the answer to helping create change around the world yeah i i agree i think that's really well said and like you say you know you're always going to have these corrupt governments but it it does it does feel a little bit like i don't know it's it's there are lots of and i think i i agree with david lammy that the the reason why it's slightly ickily colonial particularly because mm. of the race issues in this is there are lots of areas around the world where there are loads there is loads of poverty there are some parts of you know there are parts of the middle east that are in you know incredible you know, but cambodia haven't always had the best of times have they frankly there have been people that have been starving there thanks to corrupt governments mm. and dictators but they never quite seem to get the same sort of you know there there are there are many parts of the world that have very you know huge amounts of poverty you know there are parts of america that have very insane much. levels mm. of poverty but they're white aren't they so yes. so and and there is there is this kind of feeling you know because it's not the western world or because africa is somehow someone to be looked at you can't shake the feeling that, they, that there's this feeling that oh they're there poor africa and and like you say maybe there was a time and place for that during the original live aid mm. in the mid 80s when times were different but you know things have moved on parts of the african economy has moved on you know the, the, it's it does seem a little bit tone deaf that the, the songs remain the same when actually i think i think the world's changed tune absolutely right is your smartphone listening to you and making notes <laughs> <laughs> that's next right after animal collective
most virulent earworm that I've had in some years, and so apologies for inflicting it on you, but a problem shared is a problem <laughs> marginally reduced, I suppose. And this is introduced to me by um, by my uh, my partner's sister and her boyfriend, not boyfriend, her husband. They got married, didn't they? Yes, her, my my uh, our our pal Becky and Tony introduced them to me, and uh, I knew Animal Collective, but I never heard this song before, and they played it to me, and I just cannot stop listening to it since. So I think it's I think it's brilliant. I've always enjoyed Animal Collective and their kind of um, their really inventive ways of multi-tracking vocals. And I think the vocals in this are brilliant. How they seem to be called a response and then they're not, and they they all shift around. I think I might have picked Brother Sport in the past for this. And uh, and I just I I love the, I love the fact that I never quite know where Animal Weekend are going. Not Animal Weekend, Animal Connective. Sorry, I get them in Vampire Weekend muddled <laughs> up. But yeah, I am I'm never quite sure where they're going. But um, it, it, wherever it is, it's always a lot of fun, I think. And uh, I, I just, this is, I think it's, the thing I love about them is that they are brilliantly talented and incredibly silly at the same time. And I think that is, that is. A bit like yourself. Well, quite. Yes, thank you. I'm glad you agree. I'm certainly the second thing. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure about the first. But um, taken from the first single from their 2016 album, Painting With, um, and it also came out um, as a, a single in, uh, in by itself but on Domino in 2015. Um, it's uh, it, apparently it's um, Avery Tarr who's or Avery Tarr who's the sort of main person mm. says that the song was sort of inspired by hating on people from Florida. <laughs> I was driving in LA and flipping through the radio dial and came across a morning radio show where they're just talking all the time. They had a segment called like dumb things people are doing in Florida. It kind of bothered me. Everybody they kind of agree that Florida is such a weird place, but in a way that's part of the charm of it. So I really like this kind of. It's like they took a normal song and threw it in a mangle. That's every Animal Collective song ever, and I think they're brilliant. And that is called Florida. I really like Animal Collective. What what I've heard of them, they're always um, trying out new ideas and directions. Like yeah. you say, very interesting experiments with studio techniques and harmless and so on. And I like the fact that. And I like the fact that one of the Animal Collective is in fact known as Panda Bear, who is known as <laughs> Noah Lennox. So, uh, so yeah, I think it's um, he's he's insane and and Noah Lennox insanely talented that he does his own stuff and he does you know he does all, all sorts. He does vampire. He, sorry, he, he does Animal Collective. He's worked with that. His stuff as Atlas Sound was brilliant as well. He's worked with Zombie and Daft Punk, all sorts of things really. So he's um, he also formed an electronic duo called Jane, and of course both of them were men. So so it's. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they they are like you say, incredibly inventive. And although occasionally I get a bit too tired to listen to Animal Collective because when you have caught twelve ideas at the same time in the same song, I can understand why they're a bit much for people sometimes. But they are, if you're in the right mood, you just stick one of their albums on and lie down. And you go to some some pretty cool places, I think. Now, well, the strange things first started happening about a couple of weeks ago here when a British... Uh-oh, uh-oh, oh gosh. This yeah. I feel like I've suddenly fallen into a bit of a horror movie. If my yeah. if my screen starts showing a large ring on it, then I'm turning the laptop off and moving. <laughs> well, it all started when a British gas man was here fixing a radiator and he went round the house checking all the other radiators were all working. Uh, OK. And as he did so, um, he noticed a framed... Kate Bush poster on the wall in my office here. Mm. I've told you about it before. It's from the Before yes. the Dawn 2014 um, 
dates at London, you know, the uh, Hammersmith Apollo. Yeah, Hammers, yeah, yeah. Indeed, on my wall, which I can see at the moment, I have a piece the of um, the confetti from yeah. that from that day. I didn't go, my bandmate didn't brought it back and framed it for me. So, so yes, clearly we ever, as, we, as ever, we beat us beat, one. Beat us one, heart. So the British gas man, he came back into the dining room and he commented on Kate Bush and we chatted about her and then he mentioned that he and his wife are big fans of the singer and songwriter Thea Gilmore and mm. how they're looking forward to her new album and seeing her on tour in a couple of months and off went the gas man with his Alan Keys and his British Gas Fleece jacket. And well, what I d- an incredibly light, enlightened British Gas Man, by the way. I, 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 I was him. quite he surprised. Yeah, yeah he, he was good. Uh, he was a very a Fulham supporter, but we didn't hold that. I didn't hold that against him. Um, but I didn't think much more of it. But the next day after he'd been, various ads for Thea Gilmore's tour popped up open on my homepage of, of my PC and on Facebook. And I thought, very odd, but I thought, quite the coincidence. Then last week, I was talking to my mother, which isn't strange in itself, but she mentioned how she enjoyed... We were just talking. She said, oh, you know, I used to enjoy that TV series, Not Going Out with Lee Mack. Mm. And I thought, okay, fine. But then she said to me that she particularly enjoyed the comic contribution by Tim Vine, who appeared in in Mm. Not Going Out. Noted Ponster Tim Vine, yes. Indeed, the the one-liner king. Later that day, my phone starts showing me the most local dates for the current tour of Tim Vine. Mm. Now I'm getting edgy. Then, finally, last weekend, I was telling um, our Hilly about the 1966 World Cup, and I was explaining how Jeff Hurst scored a hat-trick. You were mansplaining. I I was mansplaining about how Jeff Hurst scored a hat-trick in the final. And now, you've guessed it, I start getting notifications about footballer Jeff Hurst's upcoming theatre tour in 2019. Mm. So I started Googling how this happened, and it seems it's quite a common experience. It's claimed that our smartphones listen into our conversations and then target, target us with advertisements linked to our conversations. Now, Jules, what is the deal here? Isn't this an incredible invasion of privacy, or should I just muffle the microphone on my iPhone? Well, and so you say this, I've got some science for you behind oh, this. I, oh, um, gosh. I, I, so, so um, you, you, obviously, yeah. we're, we're both um, sort of very, uh, we're, we're ageing as sort of quite sensible people. We probably don't spend much time on the website Vice, for example, no. which is entirely no. admit, uh, sort of dedicated to very much that, Vice's. Um, so the headline is, your phone is listening and it's not oh paranoia. So don't worry, it, it is happening. Yeah. Um, and it says, here's how I got to the bottom of the ads coinciding with conversations mystery so this is an uh, oh, this okay. is an article last year written by sam nichols who says a couple of uh, same thing happened to him a couple of years ago something odd happened um, him and a friend were sitting in a bar they had iphones in their pockets they were talking about their recent trips to japan and how they'd like to go back the very next day they both got pop-up ads on facebook about cheap return flights to tokyo it seemed like a spooky coincidence mm. um but uh, are our smart friends actually listening? And he's spoken to this chap called Dr. Peter Hemway, who is the, secu- the senior security consultant for a cyber security firm called Asterix, which makes you think, do they all have sort of Viking helmets <laughs> and large ginger moustaches to work there? And he used to be a researcher and lecturer at the Edith Cowan University. And he says that the short answer is yes. Gosh. But perhaps it's not as diabolical as it sounds. Mm. So for your smartphone to actually pay attention and to record your conversation, there needs to be a trigger, such as when you say... 
hey siri or alexa or okay google or something like that mm. in the absence of, of having these triggers any data you provide is only processed within your own phone so you can think okay fine it's just a brick on the side but any third-party applications that you have on your phone like facebook for example mm. still have access to non-triggered data so basically unless you tell unless you refuse to give facebook access to your microphone and you can do it but it's really fiddly mm. um they have access to non-triggered data and whether or not they use it is up to them um and this chap says from time to time snippets of audio do go back to um the these servers but there's no official understanding what the triggers for that are whether it's timing or location based or usage of certain functions apps are certainly pulling those microphone permissions and using those periodically all of the internals of the application send the data in encrypted form so we can't actually define what it is that's triggering it and he then goes on to explain that apps like facebook or instagram could have thousands of triggers to the point where an ordinary conversation example here which is spooky about with a, if you say to a friend oh do you know what i really could do with buying a new pair of jeans these are wearing out mm. um it would then happen the next day. So yeah. this chap, this chap decides to try an experiment. Twice a day for five days, he tries saying a bunch of phrases that could theoretically be triggers. So he says, "I'm thinking about going back to university, and I need some cheap shirts for work." He then monitors Facebook. The next day, he is being told that mid-semester courses <laughs> at various Gosh. universities are available. Mm. Certain brands are offering cheap clothing. Mm. A private conversation with a friend about how I run out of data led to an ad about cheap 20 GB data plans. And although they were all good deals, the whole thing was eye-opening and utterly terrifying. Peter tells him that although no data is guaranteed to be safe for perpetuity, in 2018 apparently no company was sending their data directly to advertisers. But as we know, advertisers don't need our data for us to see their ads. So... They, rather than saying, here's a list of people who followed your demographic, they say, why don't you give me some money and I'll make that demographic or those who are interested in this will see it. So if they let the information out in the world, they lose access to it. So they're being as secretive as they possibly can. Um, also, of course, this then raises the wider issue. Most tech companies are based in the USA which means that the NSA or perhaps the CIA can potentially have your information disclosed to them, whether it's legal in your home country or not. So at the moment, the access to data is only going to advertisers. Um, nothing particularly malign is happening with that. It's just invasive and intrusive and a bit freaky. The big question is who else is going to use that data? Yeah, you see, luckily... I'm not doing anything in my life where I could get into trouble with this, but imagine if someone yeah. was, for example, having an affair and perhaps arranged a secret tryst in the Cotswolds, and <laughs> suddenly the husband or wife... I mean, that sounds very charming. I have no desire to have an affair. I just want to go to the Cotswolds. And Maybe if you can go to the Cotswolds without having an affair, that would be great. <laughs> and then, you know, say, say that, that happened, and then the, the partner, the wife or husband, started looking, sort of noticing on their um, partner's phone <laughs> ads for hotels in stow on the world um you know oh man or, honestly or even more ads for divorce lawyers on facebook oh, it could be no. awkward couldn't it 
Oh, it, it it could be pretty, but or, or you know, perhaps if you were expecting a baby and hadn't told your partner, or, you know, I, I don't know. It's all, it's it's all, it is creepy and weird, mm. isn't it? You can make the justification. Oh well, at least it's not the CIA listening to me. Yeah. You know, that that's that's not that much of a comfort to me. You know, I I, I mm. yeah, it's it's it is, and I think we. I think this is the problem. It's a slippery slope, isn't it? And it's almost, it feels a little, little bit like a parallel between, you know, celebrities saying, oh, I can't believe I have paparazzi stalking mm. me all the time, and people saying, yeah, but you've decided that you wanted to be famous. And I do have sympathy for people that are musicians and actors that, that do things that are in the public eye without necessarily doing it to be famous, if you see what I mean. Um, it feels a little bit the same here that, you know, we we have these smartphones we quite often willingly give our data so you know that makes us sitting ducks i don't know i'm not entirely convinced it does be interesting to see if um i now get an advert for mm. it if, if i could say to my phone i want to work in the cia whether i now get recruitment or do you know i'm interested in applying for mi5 does mm. this mean that i'm now going to get let, let's try it as an experiment mm. let's see if i'm now going to get mi5 um recruiting data in the next week or it'd be interesting to see i will report back if i do it really is the most curious thing because on one level i'm not bothered as of nothing to hide they can't jail you for having passing conversations about tim vine and, the- and thea gilmore well, it- well if they can then then you know it's in what a sensible jury would convict <laughs> but it does make me it makes me wonder where if ever we'll um want to draw the line about letting what is essentially artificial intelligence gather so much information about us it, it, it really will be i think uh, a major topic of interest in the future and it may become um all-encompassing where we have to in a sense just give up all senses of privacy and um i'm not sure that many people will be comfortable with that mm, I, I, it's it is a bit it's starting to feel a little bit like the television that watches everybody in 1984 mm. isn't it really the death of the musician Mark Hollis has been reported this week. We'll be looking at his life and music next. That's right after some actually rather splendid sunshine and pop. It's a track mm. from the new album um, from Lily and Madeleine. Let's meet at midnight under that sign. Don't need reminding, just be on time.
their sisters, Lilia and Madeleine Djokovic from Indianapolis and from their latest album, their fourth. Out this week, the album is Canterbury Girls and that was Lilia Madeleine and Analogue Love. Yeah, I like that. I do have a lot of time for Lilia Madeleine, mm. I must admit. I like their... Um, they always sound very free when they perform. I don't. I don't know why. They just. They're just, just a. There's. A, they're very unforced. There. There's a real kind of. I just feel. It would surprise me if they did many takes. If you see what I mean. There's. There's yeah. a kind of a freeness to them that I really like. And uh, co-produced by Daniel Tashian, a long-time friend of this parish. Indeed. Um, yes. Jules, when you're not hiding your identity from prying smartphones... Well, um, quite, yes, when I'm not gaffer-taping everything <laughs> in my house to the wall, yeah. <laughs> when might we find you this coming week? Well, this week I'm doing something quite interesting, actually. I don't know when we will next, um, when, when the, the, the people will listen to it, but mm. be interested. I think I mentioned it last week, but it's happening this Sunday, the 3rd of March. The uh, Radiophonic Workshop are playing down in oh, Hastings. Yes. People that originally did the Doctor Who theme and various other interesting projects, they're playing down here, and I'm DJing. It's at the Printworks. I think it's at the Printworks in Hastings. Um, I'm just trying to check to see that it, where it actually is. But no, I'm really looking forward to DJing via Electro to a friend of mine who were excellent a sort of synth duo of the support band and then the radiophonic workshop are very much the um the sort of stars of the show so i'm really looking forward to that um it is um just trying to look to see where it is it is oh no it's black market vip sorry it's not the print works it's black market vip in hastings so don't go to the print works we won't be there um but no really really looking forward to it it's going to be a good show so um and they've put some very interesting video clips up so i'll be doing that very much looking forward to that and then i do have some things that i wore um oh no actually i'm working on the base that we might not catch up in time next week um i'm doing the international women's day uh, all-female dj lineup at the marina fountain in Hastings, which is a lovely venue that has just very recently reopened, and I think it's St Leonard's actually. So, uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's uh, that's going to be a great night there on Friday the eighth. So many and various things, Terence, is what I'm doing. Sounds good. And uh, while we're about it, thanks to you for listening. Yeah, um, always thanks to you. And thanks also to Rona and Hilly. Um, George, yes, there are some pieces of music that, despite being labelled as pop, that I find quite symphonic and that I can just listen to time and time again just as we might listen to Handel's Water Music or The Planet Sweet by Holtz I place in similar esteem or in the same bracket Kate Bush's The Ninth Wave mm. or the recently reissued remastered uh, remarkable the remarkable I Troll the Megahertz by Paddy McAloon and Prefab yeah, Sprout yeah that's wonderful yeah I, I was playing it today it's tremendous there are two pieces from Mark Hollis in this vein that I return to repeatedly one is the wonderfully uh, evocative album Spirit of Eden from his time mm. in the band Talk Talk and the other is from his solo album which is simply called Mark Hollis which was released in 1998 it's a quiet peaceful intimate collection of uh, musical pieces and it's astonishingly beautiful but was largely passed by at the time then Mark Hollis decided he'd finished with his music career decided to live quietly with his wife and children in Wimbledon now, Mark Hollis died this week, it's, it's been reported, at the age of 64. Five albums with Talk Talk, Jules, one solo album, and then a, quiet, a couple of quiet decades in the London suburbs. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's what makes him so interesting. I mean, as I said to someone the other day, even Vashti Bunyan turned up again eventually, but Mark Mark Hollis didn't, mm. and, and in a way it's sort of interesting that he just kind of wandered off and never wandered back. And a friend of mine that's very fond of Talk Talk said on Facebook recently, there was always a very small person that was just waiting for a, another really 
beautifully perfectly formed album from Mark Wallace there was always that vain hope that he might pop back one day so I'm sorry that he won't be now I talked talk to me a, a rather a long time it sounds awful but to notice them really because I was too, far too young for them at the time and I, I, I actually certainly embarrassingly got into them when um, No Doubt covered It's My Life a few years mm. ago and did a really nice version of it I thought the bass on it was fantastic and as a result of that, I then heard the original and and sort of got into them accidentally through that. And they just had such a beautiful sound about it. And of course, Mark Hollis is often credited as pretty much inventing the genre of post-rock. Mm. And so to invent an entire genre of music and then just pop off and have a really nice life and not, not feel the need to come back, not feel the need to keep kind of hanging on and to just go. I, I, I wish everybody showed that level of grace. I wish I showed that level of grace, frankly. I think he's... I think he did something really great and did something that meant i think he's an example of how it's sometimes good to mean an awful lot to a few people rather uh, awful lot mm. to a little rather than to to a little amount a little amount mm. to a lot of people really and i think he it, it seemed i know lots of people that you know genuinely really sad included that he's passed away that are genuinely sort of big fans of talk talk and they're one of those bands that are really well regarded i think by a certain amount of people but weren't huge but didn't I don't know if he was that bothered about that or not it didn't seem like he was really he didn't he didn't kind of have that thing that people do of the ever diminishing returns Mm. where they're constantly I mean obviously the colour of the colour of spring was their most commercially successful album in the UK in uh, in 1986 it reached number 8 in the album's chart here the most uh, successful album in America was It's My Life um, which got to 42 over there in 1984 but you know, even though they peaked and then, you know, the next two albums didn't do quite as well after Colour of Spring, but they were still, still top 30 albums in the UK mm-hmm. when people bought albums in large numbers. But he obviously didn't... He, I, I admire that kind of contempt, really, that they just he just decided they'd done what they needed to and, and off they went, really. I think that's what makes their music so powerful. Things are always better if there aren't a lot of them. I think that 40 Towers is brilliant, but it wouldn't quite be regarded in the way that it did if there wasn't only 12 episodes. Episodes. Mm. The day to day, I have a single box set of the day to day, and that is it. It was brilliant, and they did a great thing, and then it stopped. You know, I think mm. I think there are, there is such a thing as outstaying ones. Welcome. It's why most great pop singles are about three minutes long. So I admire Talk Talk for not, and Mark Hollis for not wanting to, you know, not constantly wanting more mm. to 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 get to the end of an artistic endeavor and then decide that it is finished is such a rare skill it really is so so i am sorry to hear of mark hollis's loss but i i i you know admire him hugely for doing what he doing what he wanted to and then not feeling the need to sort of ruin it by doing anything that was substandard and just just leaving i you know i i hope that he did have a happy life there's a lovely quote um i've came across today from guy guy garvey of elbow um, who said? Who's uh, always got lovely things to say? Actually, hmm. his his show, his radio shows on Six Music are always a treat. This is what he said. This is the quote: Mark Hollis started from punk, and by his own admission, he had no musical ability. To go from only having the urge to writing some of the most timeless, intricate, and original music ever is as impressive as the moon landings to me, unquote. And that's well, quite that's the tribute. Lovely. That's lovely, isn't it? Mm. He is so lovely, Guy Garvey. That's what makes his shows so good, I think. He just seems like such a nice man. He just seems so profound but just and so gentle, I think. And I think you could say that about Talk Talk as well. There was a sort of a gentleness about them that didn't stop them from being powerful. 
And you've chosen uh, a talk talk track to play us out. Yeah, I have. I thought it was the right thing to do this week. And um, having we've had it's my life, I think previously. I think you might have chosen it. Mm. So so um, we're going to have this. And it was actually really nice. Although I was sad about Mark Hollis, it was really nice. Um, I think Marianne Hobbs played it at lunchtime on Six Music, and I was in my car driving off to somewhere else. And um, and I um, and I heard it as the sun was shining and I was driving past the sea and I thought, oh, this is nice. It's nice to hear it like this. Um, it, is, it was as sparkling as the sea that I drove past. Um, this is Talk Talk and this is Life is What You Make It.
You have been listening to a DAC Media production.